Hey, 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 everybody. Yet again, thank you for the opportunity to join us today with the Financial Grill. I'm one of your hosts, Lawrence Delva Gonzalez, otherwise known as the Neighborhood Finance Guy on the interweb. So you can really find me on my IG or my website where I'm actually garnering a lot of good views. And I also provide services when it comes down to really understanding financial uh, literacy, money management, budgeting, investing, and so on and so forth. So please link up with me. And I'll I'm also here with my other co-host when, and obviously we're, we're missing Atlanta because she's dating, you know, the, hey, anytime she's dating, she might not be around. I'm just saying, you know, so she's, you know, Hey, she's working on that, going to brunch or something. So let's go lovely. What's up? Hey everyone. I hope you all are having a good day, no matter where you are, no matter to what time you're listening to this. I'm super excited to be here and Atlanta is not here. I won't quite go Debbie as Lawrence has done, but Lance, we miss you. We hope to see you and hear from you soon. I'm just saying, you know, that the audience have also stated that she owes me an apology because you'd be going hard in the paint against your boy. So let one me, person. you know, and as well as yourself. So that's what the audience has stated. So I've just, at one point, I, I look forward to you guys for providing a formal apology, either through email or on this podcast. And, you know, just because I am very oh. humble, I would just ask that you, you know, you know, whenever you get a chance to, whenever you get a chance to, I'm not going to force that out of you. Guys. I'm going to let y'all know, he, Lawrence, I'm about to get not one apology from me. Not one. Y'all don't know Lawrence. Not one. You know what? That's what the audience says. So we're just going to have to abide by the audience. And I, I, I look forward to you guys being very cordial and very elegant and classy. Do not be classless and, and provide your apologies at a, uh, at a normal time. Thank you. So this okay. conversation... This conversation is going to be all about um, setting a price or really, you know, a lot of people believe that they deserve a raise. So because of that, there's been a lot of people that has, um, have joined the Great Resignation. So as of January 2022, there is estimated 4.5 million people who voluntarily left their positions as of November 2021. So I'm pretty sure that number went up a little bit, but we are actually also seeing in the first quarter that a lot of jobs are getting picked up all over again because Biden has lifted sanctions. He's lift, well, he's lifted restrictions of COVID. He's levied sanction at Russia. And basically he told us, hey, go back to work. So yeah. with that being 4. said- 4.1 million people switched jobs or left jobs. So people are 4. still 4.5. 4.5 in that in that estimate themselves and i'll actually let me i'll dive in just a little bit because anytime you see numbers like this you do have to do a little bit more research beyond the headlines you got to figure out why did 4.5 million people voluntarily left their position a lot of those people tend to be older people a lot of baby boomers who are um, in the retirement um, range or you know basically we're thinking about retirement way before the the pandemic ever started are actually taking or opting out of um, working anymore. So it's either that they, they left during the pandemic itself, like the very onset of it, when they realized, oh, things were going down. So people like my mom, she flat out retired. She was tired with all the, you know, going to work back and forth, working uh, for retail. So in, in the end of the day, she just felt like it was her time to go. And then there's a lot of people now that are waiting until the market kind of rebounds and then they decide, hey, this is the time for me to get out of it. Or people are extending their, um, their time to, in order to get a little bit more social security benefits. And that's another part of a retirement strategy. So a lot of those 4.5 millions are people that really are, are quitting their jobs or you're finding that there's a lot of women who you know, basically um, either because of the restrictions that they saw or the benefits that they saw of working from home and working with their own kids, 
they realize that maybe it's time for them to become, you know, maybe um, stay at home contributors to their families. So as such, there's a lot of people switching from this idea of a full-time employment to maybe something part-time or even working from home, so on and so forth. So I decided to give that context. So it's not just these numbers that we look at. There's some details, people. You got to know the details. What do you think? Um, question. Interestingly enough, you mentioned the whole situation with moms. I have a couple of friends that are moms that it's definitely also financial strain when you make that decision if you didn't have a plan going forward, because also you're realizing that now you have to be with your kid 24 seven and that causes a mental strain. It causes like um, anxiety too, because now you're playing a new role and what people realizing are realizing that being a stay at home mom is like having three, four jobs equivalent to in the amount of hours and times that you're giving to it. So I do see that a lot of people are saying that, okay, maybe I need to find a hybrid situation where maybe I'm home half the time, but I'm looking for a work from home job. So I do see a lot of women pushing for tech certificates. That's actually something that I've been looking into a lot that a lot of women are saying, hey, maybe I can work for a tech company remotely, but maybe do it only part-time. Or even if I have a full-time job at a tech company, essentially what I'm doing is leveraging you know, great pay also being at home, but I can maybe have like a, a, a nanny or someone doing inter interconnection with my kid while I'm home. So I think we're, it's going to be interesting to see what does this situation of COVID expose in terms of like what kind of jobs people are going after as well. So people are leaving, like you said, traditional retail jobs where I have to go in, I have to work eight, nine hours at, at, and stand where, why can't I be um, a customer service support person for Amazon and said, and literally be at home. So I think there's so much layers to talk about, not only people leaving jobs, but people are actually doing mass exodus into different type of career paths, including teachers. Teachers are another high switching careers into technology as of late. They're using their skill sets in education and also being able to do customer facing roles and getting into customer success as well. So it's, it's, quite, a, it's quite an interesting time. Yeah, and I think a lot of uh, for a lot of people, those things could be a, a benefit um, in regards to wealth because even um, household wealth has increased. No matter how much you know inflation is, you know, ramping up, and a lot of people are complaining yeah. or you know issuing That's issues. Well, a lot of people are you know there's a lot of debt out there. There's a lot of uh, prices going up, so there's a lot of belly aching. That's a, a, and it's it's warranted that guys gas prices are going through the roof, so on and so forth. At the same time, people are making money. So people are switching and they're creating, you know, um, other means through passive income and so on and so forth, creating, you know, instructional booklets, especially like you said, teachers, this is a perfect time for them to really double down on all they've learned as for how to teach people and take that, you know, take that job online, you know, <laughs> like take it online, you know, start teaching people how to speak English. You could, I've seen people do that. They, they, uh, they teach dialect. They speak English. There's, there's yoga instructors that I saw. She had like 5.8 million just on, on one, you know, instruction. So you don't have to have this class that you're doing with this, you know, yoga thing every other weekend. No, you could just record that one time and it's going to keep making money on top of money. So there's people realizing there's different ways to really switch out of the traditional job market and to really get, um, I guess, a boom and benefit from using tech and, and so on and so forth. So that's part of the, the direction. That I also wanted to uh, bring into the idea of there's this veil of entrepreneurship that exists, especially in this day and age where people are pushing like this idea, hey, if you're young, you got to be out there, you got to quit your job and you got to work for yourself and so on and so forth. But in truth, I, I always have to like push, push back a bit that a lot of small businesses fell in the first year or three. 
like first one to three years, they just completely fail. And by the year seven, or is it nine? I think it's like year seven, like 90% of small businesses fail to the point that, you know, research has found that the average age for entrepreneurs is 42. It's basically the last people that's remaining are people that's been there for a while and so on and so forth. And the biggest demographic that is represented in um, entrepreneurship or small business are the 55 to um, plus range. So basically 51% of the population based on the U.S. Census Bureau as of 2021 is basically 55 and up. So it's not this young, sexy, you know, cohorts of people just hanging out and taking flashy photos. There's literally people that have been working their entire life to establish a long-term system that works and that brings in revenue consistently. So I know you're a big, uh, you're a big connoisseur and expert on small business. So what are your takes on all that? Um, the biggest thing that you find is that people don't realize why people are failing in the first three years and then until seven and nine. So a lot of times you're here in the first three years that it's a cash flow problem. And you have to understand that when, when it comes to cash flow, there's a couple of things that play a role into that. Um, there is, you have to be able to either have the credit, um, even you, you can have great credit and still not be able to get a business loan because it's just a way harder to get a business loan. It's a lot easier for you to go get a mortgage or all these other things, even a personal loan, but a business loan, it's a lot more riskier for banks. So they don't just be, they don't just, you know, handles out like, um, pies. And the next biggest thing is like, there's not a product market fit. So a lot of businesses do start and it's like, okay, well, that's a cool idea, but how many people really want that? How many people are going to convert into buyers? And the buyers today are a lot savvier. You don't have to necessarily buy from one person. You could literally have like that favorite shoe and then Amazon is like, I promise you in two days. And so now you're like, oh, Amazon just copied something that I just did that I was making a lot of money on Instagram. And all of a sudden they have it on Amazon and people don't want to buy for it. So now there's a lot of ways for businesses to get killed across the board. And so you find that people that are a lot older have the patience that's required often because they've been seasoned. They've gone through many different iterations of the market. And so they understand like how much time it takes. I think a lot of people, especially the young um, entrepreneurs that I speak to, the mentality is like within the first year or two, I'm going to make six figures. And it, oftentimes it takes three, four, five years for you to be able to break through that level of revenue. Um, it's a internet, like, let me caveat this. The internet has shortened the, the, the time of that a lot um, because you had to realize that before the way you had a canvas for clients is completely different. You have a laptop today or a phone, you have access to people to potentially buy. So because of the lower barrier of entry, there's also this other side of, oh, it must be easy. And then people start doing it and they realize, oh, it's not that easy to get, not only get customers, but repetitive customers. And then the other second part, number two, is that you have to also understand that the people that are a little bit older have what I call a powerful Rolodex. They have been building relationships for a very long time. So they're getting a lot of business on the front end of their, um, their years from relationships. And one thing I would kind of put into our young people, entrepreneurs, even if you're in your 30s, you need to be relationship building. What actually gives you access to better customers, more enterprise customers, is the relationships that you're building within an industry. And so when people talk about the great resignation, I could do whatever I want, I get concerned, not because I'm not saying to not leave a job, maybe that's not an alignment for you, how you leave it matters. Because what you don't realize in the industry, there's always head honchos. There are always people that have been there, legacy people. And they are not gatekeeping. The problem is you don't have the code to the gate because you're not somebody that has access. 
to that particular community. So the gate's there to protect it for many different reasons. But someone that has relationship with someone that's on the other side of the gate, they just come up to the gate and put, you know, the code is five, five, six, seven. And they're entering into markets, they're entering into industries because of the relationships that they have. And so what we don't realize is the way we demonize corporate, who do you do business with? People. Corporate is not just corporation, like some invisible thing. These are people. So you might have had, like I, like even this past weekend, I was able to, you know, reach out to three executives at um, top firms and I have meetings with them next week because of relationships. I'm pivoting in the services that I want to offer, but because when I was in corporate, I built strong relationships. And the first thing that um, Chris said to me, which is one of the guys that used to be um, our, um, he was a senior manager. He's like, oh, you're a rock star. Whatever you want, whenever you want, I'll sit down with you. I can talk to you about these things. And so what you're realizing with the person that's, you know, over 40 or in their fifties, they've had years of experience often in some of the industries that they're entering. So then they're calling up six people to have relationships, to have communication concerning it. And so we'll talk about this later, but I'll tell, I'll, we'll talk about why this makes a big difference on why you see smaller businesses fail because they don't understand how to actually be able to get corporate contracts because they think that small business is only small. You only do business with small businesses. When you realize small businesses do, um, do relationships with government, small businesses do relationship with Microsoft, with Apple, like these bigger, bigger, large corporations, they do business with small business. You just need to be able to have the language and the proximity. And I think the older people have learned that. And so that's probably why you're also seeing them get more success out of their business in the long run. Nicely stated, nicely stated. So I guess part of it is it's on two ends. So you have the small business people or the people that's trying to push for entrepreneurship and that, that really needs to be um, almost conceptualized, you know, strategically planned, managed and, you know, setting out these objectives, goals and visions and even working with um, business coaches. I know you picked up a business coach as well. Yep. So there's this idea that whatever stage you are, no matter if you're completely an expert in your field, maybe you're like the expert baker, you make croissants all day, but you might not be the person to, to run the business of the bakery. You might yep. be, you know, you might be the skill hand, completely the skill hand, and you have to be able to actually position yourself in a, in a way that there's somebody else that picks up that other task for you in order for you to be able to scale up your business. So I think that was one of your talking points during your recent mm -hmm. interview on Koi and Podcast. Yeah. You know, they, they actually challenged you with some of those questions and you, you responded and majority of that, you know, was stemmed from the idea that you have to change your, your operating um, system. You have to, you have to, you know, your OS, you know, you have to change that. You have to change the way you think about where you fit in and how you grow yourself. And the same time, the same can be said about anybody that's even trying to look for or setting a price, which is a big deal. You know, like when somebody hit me up and say, hey, Lawrence, you know, can you do a, a workshop? How much? How do you set your price? You know, like that's a big situation. So for me, I'm always scared to, to give them a price or maybe I'll price myself out and I have that fear. So and then sometimes, like, like you said it before, like some people actually you know set a, a price but it's so low that somebody don't even consider it because it's that low so can you yeah, talk about that a little bit yeah it's not expertise so recently someone asked me like what is my average consulting range and i'll share them because i don't think i've ever shared this out loud um for the basic package of everything that we do uh, it's 625 an hour that's the hour it costs 625 an hour for me to come in to talk to you essentially and somebody's like six 625 people are paying i was like no that's a low end that means that 
this is just diagnostic. I'm just looking at stuff. I'm not even giving you information. This is diagnostics. And the reason why I can charge that way is because I don't do it based off my hour. I do it based off the value of that hour. Like what is the potential value that you're going to get off of you doing four sessions? And the other requirement is you can't do one session. It has to be minimum of four. So anytime that I'm meeting with somebody for four hours across the board within 30 days, it's, it's 2,500 at minimum. The reason why it's because I understand that that one meeting is going to net them, at, if, at least if they're listening, anywhere from $100,000 or more if they apply just the basics, not even doing internal digging, but the basics. And what happens is that you don't realize that men, men firms, this is like not lovely coming up with numbers. But typically, if you look at the average of male firms, they are making over $200,000 a year at minimum. And the, on, the, on, on the broader spectrum of like high-end high, high end businesses, they're making $3.8 million, I believe. I mean, yeah, it's $3.2 million. Whereas women, like a Black women's businesses make around for the year $24,000. I want to say that again, $24,000. That $3.2 million and $24,000, 3.2 million and 24,000, that's a big gap. And if you're looking on the mid-tier business, 212,000 to 24,000 is literally male counterparts making 100 times more than a Black woman's own firm. And somebody's going to be like, well, you know, disparities and all this stuff. I'm going to tell you this. Companies like Microsoft, Apple, companies like um, Aeropostale Stores and all these other companies, they have what you call corporate training budgets. That industry in itself is an $8.8 billion industry. Corporate training overall is a $42 billion industry. So these companies have budgets to be able to bring corporate consultants and experts. So let's say you're a social media person and you know social media like the back of your hand, you're able to do those things. You can create a training that you can sell to any of these corporations. Like for example, Lawrence does financial literacy. He can go and pitch financial literacy services to all the tech companies for their employees. But if Lawrence comes out and says $25 per person, they're like, does this guy even know what he's talking about? Is this guy an expert? Because $25 per person to get fine, and you're saying that you can help people maximize the, um, the benefits that they're giving, Microsoft is not hiring Lawrence because immediately he's so priced so low, they don't even believe in his expertise, no matter what else he puts on paper. And so what a lot of times is when you're talking to the director of training, they have a budget for these things. These are five, six figure contracts from one company. So you can literally, for example, Lawrence can come up with a program that's meant for employees at tech companies and charge $1,000 per person. And they'll be like, okay, we have about 200 people. We'll go ahead and give you $200,000. We're going to spread it out. You're going to do a discovery for us. You're going to do a quarterly um, training for us. And they're going like over six figure um, contract. And they're going to say yes to Lawrence because they understand pricing for value. A lot of times in our community, we are taught that we need to give a fair deal. We need to be good to people. We, we think we, we call it being noble. And what we're doing is we're pricing ourselves out of opportunities. And so when I talked to my recent business coach, she literally gave me, um, like an outline of, I gave her all my expertise and everything else. Cause I actually just hired two people. I have a business development um, infuser. And I also have someone that's going to help me with building out my corporate solutions for the next phase of 1159. And one of the packages alone was a $250,000 package for one company. That's going to be about four to six months of work. 
And so breaking it down that way, it's like, why am I going to spend my time trying to work with you? They don't even know if you really want to do a business or not. When I can work with people that are already doing businesses, but they're, they're looking for experts in certain specific areas. I have a great background of learning how to do alignment with marketing sales and customer success. That's literally what I consulted for so many different companies. And so me bringing that in, I can say to them, if your rep is literally making, you know, they're, they're missing their quarters by 5%. If I can help them be better at what they do and increase every rep's performance by three or 4%, that's millions of dollars for that company. They don't see the $200,000 contract as a problem anymore. Because I'm, I've been able to articulate, if I can get your reps to perform at 2 to 3% more, you're going to be making millions. You pay me $200 on $200,000 to get them to start on the training. That's nothing to them. But if you come in there and, oh my goodness, you know, I just want to help people. And, and you know, I, I, I'll, I'll charge you 20000 for it. They don't believe you. Yeah, maybe that's, maybe that's one, that's definitely my issue. You know, I think I've, I've long since provided cheaper alternatives to people in regards to financial literacy, financial planning, so on and so forth. But then I found that people don't respect you if you don't, you know, if it's, if your price is not where it's quote unquote supposed to be at, people just don't respect you. And at the same time, if you... I, I found that I'd, I'd rather go with a bigger win than very small ones. So I found that I've, um, I've done uh, workshops and they pay me two grand, whereas I would be struggling trying to get like, you know, 75, 100 bucks for, for, to provide services to 10 people for like, you know, over a week or something like that. There's a lot of stuff there where at my, my heart of hearts, I wanted to give back to people. Then I realized that you, I probably wasn't really giving back as effectively as I want to because of it and it, it wasn't making dividends for me in the back end so I was really kind of like burning myself out I think a lot of people are going to have to struggle with finding that um negotiating their price at the same time there's a lot of people themselves coming into the workplace they need to negotiate that salary I think that's another issue as well if you're under negotiate your salary that that can actually it could really change up the entire way that your uh, your wealth trajectory plays out as it relates to your career so if you start off in a job making, um, let's say 45K, typically there's a plat plateau that happens and you probably never, if you stay with that job and you don't really get promoted and they just keep giving you a little, little promotions or little raises every year, 3% while inflation is pushing 7.9%, the highest has been over 40 years, you're out there sitting there while your money doesn't really grow and then you plateaued maybe at 60K for the rest of your life. So I've noticed that it's probably better for the, especially for younger people, to one, getting to jobs fairly quickly, negotiating that salary. And then if the people don't, they don't promote you in about two years, you better be looking for a new job as soon as possible because the switch up can mean a, a, an additional 40 plus on, on, your, on your wealth gain. So I've noticed that for myself. I started off making 23. Uh, in about six months, I, I applied for another position. I was making 32. Six months later, I applied for another position. I was making 64. And therefore, now I think I've actually plateaued at my job. It's not a bad place to plateau at. I'm, I'm plateaued at six figures, but I'm just kind of like, I, I noticed that that's the issue now, that I need to figure out how to reassess my uh, resume, get back out there, start interviewing, and also learning to negotiating my personal value, which is very big. So I don't know what you're doing with yourself. Are you reevaluating your life? Yes, we talked about this earlier. So I'm evaluating all across the board because I want to have like what I call a mix of business. 
um, because you don't want to have one giant well client, which means that what a giant well client means is that that, that one client brings over 35% of your revenue. Anytime that you have a client that's bringing over 35% of your revenue, the likeliness of your business um, failing doubles. Because if you ever lose that client, more than likely your business is going to fail because they're bringing up so much revenue. So I want to always have like a diversity of clients. At first, when I first started Lim 59, I really, really wanted to work with um, small businesses and take them to idea to scale because I've been in the place of growing businesses and scaling them. That's what I literally was commissioned to do, paid to do, showed up to do. And one of the, my most prized companies that we were able to help is we, when, when I joined them, they were making about $500,000 a year. And I worked for them about three years. And by the time of the third year, I was like a COO at the company. We were making $10 million. And you can do the math. We're making half a million, went to $10 million. We increased the rate of return of our customers. We increased the rate of how our account managers were performing across the board. So I'm not saying this in my sleep. I'm, I'm talking about my real life experiences. However, I would look into the community and see, oh my goodness, you know, mom and pop doesn't have to actually be a mom and pop. They could be you know, franchises, they can grow and scale. And then I got into the market and there was resistance. And there's a resistance that you get with anything new, right? When Facebook first came out, people resisted it. When Uber first came out, people resisted it. However, I've been doing it long enough to realize this is not only a resistance in the market, this is a, they are determined to do it the way they've always done. And so out of a hundred, maybe you're going to find that one blue well person that decides, yes, I'm going to take you in the chance. But I don't close deals when I was 100 when I was doing consulting. I closed deals at a 92% rate. And that's just reality. Those are my stats. At a 92% rate, when I had meetings with clients and corporate clients, I was closing them or increasing their rate of how many um, customer, increasing the rate of the customer service lifetime value. These are my rates. So if I'm closing at a 1% here, there might be something that's wrong. And that, and when I did my SWOT analysis, it came down to right message, right product, wrong audience. And so because it was a wrong audience, I had to pivot. I want to work with firms that have at least crossed over six figures and scale them up to mega giants, whether that's one, two, three, four million dollars for the course of three years. And then on the interim of my other mixed bag is I want to work with corporate um, clients and become their um, corporate trainer and do workshops for them internally. And so those are the two bags that I want to mix in. I don't want to, if you have not made, if you haven't crossed over $100,000 in revenue, I am not your person. That had to be very clear for me. That had to be very defined. The only other alternative person that would kind of be our 15% person is the person like uh, Lawrence, for example. Lawrence already has extensive experience. He has expertise. He might want to bring something into the market. So then we can help him package his already expertise. So like right now I have a therapist that I'm working with. She has a PhD. She has extensive experience. She's just trying to scale her practice. That's a whole different um, ball game because the person has something that they can leverage into, their, into the market. If you just baby and them that just have an idea, I'm not saying not to go after your idea. I'm not even saying that your idea sucks. I'm saying is that what I'm realizing is a lot of times people that are still in ideation are still dealing with mindset blockers. And it's like, okay, I, can, I can't do that with you. Somebody else has to do that with you. Because when I, want, when I come into the meeting, I want to talk about our LC, um, SLQs. I want to talk about, do you have qualified leads? I want to talk about your sales development process. I want to talk about how do we develop your, your strategy so that you can use a various business model so that you don't go from, you're not having feast and famine in your business. That's what I want to talk about. And then I realized wrong people.
not bad people, just wrong people. And so that's why I had to re redirect myself. <clears throat> that's a that's a word there. I think that's powerful. The ideal for moving from feast to famine <laughs> or from famine to feast, making those the uh, very much deliberate ideals, uh, deliberate understanding of how you really ask for, um, for the, uh, the lifestyle that you technically say that you deserve by pivoting towards expertise, knowledge, getting the help that you need, getting a business coach if you need it, getting a financial planner whenever that suits you, or a lawyer or a CPA. And at the same time, start really looking into the market to understand what is your value? What is that hourly wage that you're really making right now? Even if you are a uh, pharmacist, or an, an accountant or whoever, start looking at your billable hours. What are you valued at and understanding what do you bring and how much other people are even negotiating for themselves. If you're under negotiating, then you might be missing out on uh, lucrative um, opportunities, funding and so on and so forth. So there's a lot to be said about that. So thanks for covering that today. I know it's been, I know there's a lot of different math that people are afraid of when it comes to this stuff, but I think the, the goal is to ensure that you're making moves that are really going to affect your, your, your family and yourself going forward. So with that being said, from my perspective, the top three things that people can do to become more actionable about themselves is to really, you know, go back to one of our episodes where we talked about setting the 10-year challenge, really is about strategic planning, vision, and objectives, understanding what you're going to do um, for the rest of your life and how that fits into your purpose. And on top of that, start looking into right now, if you can, how much people are making in your own um, industry right now. I don't care what you're doing. Look it up online. It exists. There's a, I think it's Glassdoor or something that the, the website, you can find some of those details and really start understanding. And even, you know, if, if you haven't looked at your resume in a very long time, I suggest that you take this week and just revamp it. Read it, see where you fought at, see where you made mistakes, or even see where you can update so you can have an updated resume. On top of that, I'll say get, us, get yourself an updated bio. I think part of um, the world that we're growing into is, is a branding universe now. If you're not branded, if you're not a personality, if you're not speaking out and advocating for yourself, then you're missing out on the entirety of really the how people make money today. So have a bio ready to go, have conversations, you know, start getting interviewed for whatever it is and start really being a, an active voice and not a passive person in the, in the, the driving, in the, in the car of your own life. So you better be in that driver's seat. So what can you say? What's the actionable step that you're going to leave with the people, lovely? Um, you actually hit it on the, head, the nail on the head with this one. Um, when I thought when we were talking through personal branding, that was something that I was going to mention because it is so important right now to just be able to get that done. You literally can get more salary, you can get more benefits, you can get more access just by proxy of your establishing your personal brand. That is just, if there's anything that you take from this is establish your personal brand, whether, and your, what your personal brand is, is not the beautiful pictures you put online or the things, your personal brand is your, your reputation. People need to associate you with something. Right now, if I look up Lawrence, I'm gonna associate with, he has something to do with finance. He's a finance guy, somehow, some type of way. And so now I start digging more, digging more. I'm like, okay, let's look at his reviews. Let's look at what people are saying about him and that he can then leverage his reputation. You need to do that. And I think a lot of people think that you only need to do that if you're doing business. And I'm like, no, we are in a time and age where your LinkedIn is your path. Like, you know how but before we had to pass out business card or your networking. Now today you can land a higher paying job, a higher paying position or higher position based off you just sharing your expertise and your journey on LinkedIn. 
that can literally trajectory change. So one thing I'm going to tell you today, I'm going to give you an actionable thing is if you, if you have any hopes of growing your career, any hopes of growing your business, get a LinkedIn page. Like Lauren says, prepare a bio, talk about what you did at your job. And another thing is we need to learn to articulate value that matters to corporations and value that matters to leaders. Don't say, well, I was a nice person. I was a good person to work with. I was easy to work with. What does that have to do with anything? You have, what does that have to do with business outcomes? And somebody will be like, but lovely being kind. Yeah, they're going to see that. Let them see your character. Let them see their, your integrity. That takes time for people to see. But results in saying that I was able to increase, you know, um, the position, whatever position you have, increase it by 10%, 50%, or I manage a budget of $1.5 million, whatever your, your, your area of expertise is, speak to the pain point of the particular leaders that you're looking to connect with. And that's what's going to be able to then get you more access to bigger conversations and you can solve bigger problems. People that are paid well are people that are problem solvers. Become a problem solver, showcase that you have expertise and, you can, and you'll tell me a year from now how much your life has changed. Just be a, by, being, by proxy of you being able to show up doing what you need to do for yourself, which is to kind of speak about you you know, you are your best branded person. You are the best advocate for you. And we are often taught to be humble or to do things in a way that are um, um, acceptable. Nah, don't do that. Speak. I was going to say something else. Let me, another side was going to come out. I was going to say, speak your, you know, but speak about yourself. Ampl amplify your own voice. Okay. Thank you all so much for listening to the Financial Griot podcast. You can find me at Lovely Mordellas and connect with me on LinkedIn. That's what I'm going to hear me say that all the time now. Connect me on LinkedIn. I'm going to give Lawrence the show page notes to add um, because I really think it's important for us to make professional connections as well. Yes, yes. So thanks again. And keep sharing, liking, and subscribing. And please send us your um, ideas because we do have a lot of uh, knowledge and expertise in growing wealth becoming millionaires in less than uh, 20 years. And for me, I'm actually, me and my wife are doing it in less than 10. And we're proving that on my website. And uh, you can also find the show notes on the website as well for all of this um, information and additional details and context, because there is a lot more that we could talk about, but we, we're not trying to like down you down with like two, three hours worth of content, but we do want um, to get you action um, focused and action oriented. So please feel free to link up with us. With that being said, peace. Thank you for listening to the Financial Griot Podcast, powered by the Wealth Builders Collective.